Morning, Canoe Creek. Welcome, welcome back to our time to gather together each and every Sunday where we praise God in various ways, singing, prayer, looking at his word. We believe without a doubt as we do this, engage in this, it is forming our hearts uh, to know Christ more, to go out and share him with our world. And so just want to share a couple of things with you this morning, whether it's your first Sunday, maybe you're returning from last Sunday, Easter Sunday was your first Sunday back, or your first Sunday here ever. A couple of things on the days ahead, the weeks ahead that I want to make sure our church family knows about so you can engage with these things. It can be very beneficial in helping you grow spiritually and getting your family connected and involved as well. Uh, for example, today there's a Connect class that's going to happen right after this service at 1030 in room 101. If you want to know more about our church, it's a great place to just pop down for about 45 minutes and just hear all the details about our church and how you can get connected. If you've registered, great. If you haven't, doesn't matter. Just show up. They would love to see you there. Uh, the other thing I want to let you know about is it's that time. Graduation's happening. So we are excited. Next Sunday is graduation Sunday. This is a milestone for our family ministries. It's a big day. You know, just like we have uh, baby dedication, right? And that's a milestone. Uh, uh, promotion Sunday, when they move from that side of the building to this side, children's to student ministry, big, big moves. And then, of course, I mean, graduation, big moves. So we set aside an entire service for it. Our student minister will be preaching. Excited to hear Todd bring the word. He's a great speaker. And then we'll have our kids up here, students. I guess I can't call them kids anymore, right? Uh, cap and gown and just be able to celebrate that. So we're looking forward to that. That'll be, um, I can't remember what service it's in. should be in your bulletin in the information there as well. And then one last thing I want to share with you, another thing that's coming up, it happens like Christmas every year, and that is VBS, man. It is an amazing event at this church. Many people have gotten to know this church and have come to know Jesus Christ as a result of VBS at this church, because it's a big ministry. And so it's it takes a lot of hands. It takes a lot of involvement, a lot of engagement. Um, you can text VBS to the number that you'll find in the bulletin. You can use the scan code in the bulletin. There's two different weeks. We started doing this last year, and it's important that we did it because we don't have the room to be able to do both elementary and middle school at the same time in this building. So those weeks are separate now. So if you have elementary students, they'll come a certain week. If you have middle school students, they'll come a certain week. And so when you either text or scan that, you can sign your kid up. You can also sign up to volunteer, which is so important. And speaking on that, I just want to say about last week, thank you so much to so many of you. Uh, I know children's ministry had about 200 kids over there, which was intense and insane and awesome all at the same time. And so as a result, many of you who serve in ministry here and serve on that team, that it wasn't your month or your week to serve, you jumped over there and you served extra. Uh, to be available to make sure that every kid was cared for, loved on. I know the welcome team, many of you who wouldn't normally serve yet, yet last Sunday or this month, you were there and you were serving. And we had so many people from out back cleaning up from the sunrise service to various areas. It's always been the hearts of the people at Canoe Creek is the most valuable possession we have. Uh, it's greater than any building, anything, and it is a commitment and dedication that we see from people here at Canoe Creek, which is why we're still here almost 20 years later, growing, sharing Christ with our world, which is so important to us. And with that in mind, let me just share an all-in update for you before we jump into the message this morning. You got in your bulletin when you came in this insert, it's got some great information about VBS on one side. On the other side, it has where we are at currently with all-in 
And if you're new to Canoe Creek, this isn't going to make much sense to you, but if you've been here, you know what we're talking about. This is our five-year ministry plan. All In is also the theme for our year this year. It's influencing our preaching and what we're doing. That is, we want to be all in. Uh, living for the purpose that God has for us. And so over the next five years, we believe that God has called us to some very important things within our vision. In order to accomplish those things, our church family have been making financial sacrifices to make sure that we can get it done, which is hard in our culture because most of us see finances as transactional only. Uh, But scripturally, it's very clear there's the spiritual element of our lives. And we're learning that. We're working through that. So here's a good thing. Look at that insert with me. You got this when you came in in your bulletin. Uh, Right now, 39% of our church, people who support us financially, have committed a card. And we want to see that number go up. We will see that number go up. Uh, 242 families, individuals financially support the work at Canoe Creek. Of that, 92 have submitted cards. And here's what's cool. That right now submitted, committed to the All In Vision is $1.4 million, okay, over the next uh, 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 two years for the five-year plan. And here's what's exciting about that number. It's a 94% increase. That means those 92 families, individuals who've committed to this work, they've put in almost basically a 100% increase in what they were giving to what they are giving to make this happen. I work with guys who do this stuff all over the nation. This number is not normal. It is super generous. It is super high, and we are excited. In addition to that, 33, since January, 33 new families, individuals have started giving to the vision and work at Canoe Creek, which is phenomenal. To date, right now, $250,000 in special gifts have been given. That's what you've already given that's in the bank that's going to be able to encourage us right now to start thinking about how do we move forward with the plan of education. How do we start looking at moving forward with various renovations around the building, things of that nation? Uh, and, and one last thing is this celebration total. I want you to understand that. So what we do is we take the commitments that we have on the cards with the families that are still giving and faithful to this church, but for whatever reason have not submitted a card yet. We graph those together and we project the, co- the celebration total is $2.8 million. And so that's pretty exciting because that gets us very close to what we need to accomplish the goal. And here's what I'm confident in. In the days and weeks ahead, that 39% is going to go up. As it goes up, um, our family will continue to see this number grow, and we'll be able to accomplish what God has called us to do. Now, there's... um, brochures in the seat pockets in front of you. If you if this is the first time you're hearing about All In, hey, welcome to the party. We're excited. And grab one of those brochures or see one at the Welcome Center on your way out and learn more about what this church is trying to do in our community over the next five years. We're really excited about this. So listen, I've got a sermon that kind of just stands alone on its own today. I always like the Sunday after Easter to follow up. It may be that last week was your first week here and you really want to hear maybe what would come after what we talked about. In addition, this sermon has got content in it that I like to share with our church family at least twice a year. And uh, always see to doing that. And, and so we're going to look at two core verses. And we're going to look at how we define what a disciple is. And I'll talk about that here in a few minutes here at Canoe Creek. Because it gives you a benchmark. It gives you an idea. It gives you a track to run on, so to speak, to know, hey, where am I at? in my growth in Christ? And what is it that I can do or should be doing? And so to get us there, let me just simply say, you know, last week we highlighted obviously Easter and we talked about the reason the resurrection was possible. 
That is, Jesus Christ is the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah that God had established since the beginning of time. He was there when everything was created. Uh, The resurrection wasn't some sort of plan B or C. It was in the mind and heart and plan of God to fix what we've broken from the beginning of time. And so him being our king, us submitting and surrendering to him brings us into his kingdom. Um, These are some important things. One way I love Francis Chan has demonstrated it this way, and I think it's perfect. Take a super long rope where you can't even see the other end of it and put a piece of tape on just the end that you're holding. Small little piece of tape, right? Maybe it's a one-inch long piece of tape, two inches of tape. I don't know, whatever. You can't see the other end of the rope, but you can see that little piece that's in your hand. It's that tape and basically says, this is your life. But this is the kingdom, right? All of us were created to live forever. Death was not God's plan. It was our mistake and our failure. And so you take that tape off, the rope's still the rope. The kingdom's still the kingdom. It's right now. And uh, we get to live in such ways that God is building and shaping and forming and changing us right now. The kingdom mentality isn't just a hold on and it's all going to get better. But it can get better right now as we look for it becoming even infinitely more in the future as well. And that, that's the plan of God. And so if you are looking for some sort of sense of transformation in your life, some, you want to see something change, something grow, something develop, something bloom in the way that God would desire for it to bloom, listen, you, you're here on a great Sunday. Uh, two core verses. The first one is simply this. We're going to jump right in because I don't have enough time, you know, so we're going to jump right in. And because I've got so many verses for you this morning, two core ones, but a lot of other ones sprinkled in, look, keep up at your own peril, all right? You got your own Bible, go for it. Otherwise, it's on the screen. It's in the Bible app. If you like to keep all this information, jump on the Bible app and, and you can download that and keep that. Matthew 28, it's like the charge verse for the church all over the world. It is our mission. It is uh, our commission from Christ to what we should do. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been, given to them, has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very ends of the age. Uh, This is a beautiful commission verse to us, the church, those who put our faith in Jesus and how we're supposed to live. And, you know, we can say, and how we say it here at Canoe Creek is we need to share Jesus with everyone, everywhere, in every way. The every way part is if you just look around the room, this room represents a manifold list of things, places, jobs, gifts, abilities, to where when we allow the Spirit to shape and form us, we go out into our life, we impact the world around us. And it can be anyone. And it could be that we are reaching out to everyone everywhere through that way. Now, there's two big Bible words that are taking place here. All right, justification sanctification. And we'll talk about that a little bit here as we go on and give a little bit more light and clarity to that. But here's what I want us to understand. Both of them require our commitment. It requires us to surrender to God, but both of them are accomplished by the power of God. Look, sometimes the Spirit will do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, regardless of what you want, okay? And, and it may be that God, in some ways we see this in the Old Testament, he forced himself upon people to accomplish his goal and his will. And who can question him? He's God. 
But in the majority of the time, in the greater context of life, we see that when an individual, people like you, me, us, the church, surrender or submit or give ourselves over to Jesus, uh, that he begins to do things in our life only he can do. Can all of us get a little bit better? Absolutely. We can all join some sort of program. We can all work a little bit harder. We can all be held accountable, so on and so forth. But what God can do in us and through us is infinitely greater. And that's what essentially this verse is, is telling us and encouraging us. And so we have a verse around here at Canoe Creek we love to use to define what does it mean to be a disciple, which simply is somebody who is following after Jesus. We believe in him. We want to know more from him. We desire to live like him, do what he does, go where he goes kind of thing, like it's the big brother, you know, little brother thing. That's what it means to be a disciple. So this verse is found in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 19. We read this. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And they're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And here it is. And he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Simple verse, simple statement, but from it we capture a very clear reality, and that is simply this. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and on a mission with Jesus. Now, we don't use this legalistically, all right, but it is absolutely a gauge for anyone and everyone who says, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I'm going to follow after him. Awesome. Now, you know, how are you following him? How are you being transformed by him? How does your 25-year-old self look back at your 20-year-old self and say, man, I am so glad that I am here and not there? Your 35-year-old self, look back at your 25-year-old self, and so on, right? How are we being changed and so that everything in our life is basically on mission with God? So let's ask the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does following Jesus look like? And I want to use a hard verse. This verse is found in various ways in all four of the Gospels, but Luke gives it to us in one of the hardest to understand ways, and, and you'll see why. So look at what it says in Luke 14. It says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's intense. That is difficult. Um, is God gracious or is he not? I mean, I don't know because I don't see that in, in that statement. But, you know, you got to take Scripture in its whole context, right? It, we just don't take one verse and live by one verse. We live by the entire counsel of God's Word. And understanding what is said here is important. The terminology to us sounds really radical and drastic. Well, first of all, I will say it is pretty drastic but it sounds very harsh, right? The term hate here is just basically a term in the Greek sense that is used in a comparative fashion. Basically what he's saying is, if you love them more than you love me, you can't follow me. I don't know about you, but that's hard. It's hard sometimes to put um, Jesus before my kids. 
it's sometimes hard to put Jesus before my wife, before my loved ones, whatever it may be. But in the, in the end of the day, the reality of it is God, his son Jesus, they love me more than my wife does. They love me more than my kids do because they have the capacity for that. And so we're learning to do that. And there's two things here that we can hang our hat on to better understand. First one is deny self. Easy, right? Really fun thing to do. I mean, that's just like, that's a pastime in our culture is deny self. It really means to separate from. So what it's asking us to do is separate your heart, separate yourself from those things that you want for yourself. To be able to be uh, surrendered to, over to, those things that God wants for you. Uh, This is something we work at. This is something that just doesn't come naturally for us in a broken world where we're influenced by sin. And then it says take up cross, another thing we're really excited about. Yeah, I want to take up an instrument of death. That's, I mean, I just, that's what I live to do. You know what I mean? I wake up on Monday and I think, here, Lord, give me my cross. You know, and I'm all smiles about it. Um, This is difficult stuff. Uh, But the reality of it is, it simply means that we have a heart that is growing and knows what it means to sacrifice what we desire for what God desires. doesn't happen overnight. And so here's what we could do simply to sum this up to some degree. To follow requires you to serve and sacrifice. All right, how are you serving? How are you sacrificing? It's a great way to begin to gauge how is it that I'm really following after Jesus. And most often, we just implement that in a church setting. Yeah, certainly it does matter that you're serving your church family, right? But what about your spouse? What about your kids? What about your friends? What is your vocation? God has given you a vocation in which you don't just simply make money. You serve the community around you. And, you know, it's so much more manifold. We, we try to fit these things into little boxes, and God has such a more broad view and manifold of how he wants us to walk these things out in our life. So much more freeing. So much more liberating rather than just simply legalistic. So let me give a couple verses. I'm just going to give these really fast. I'm going to throw them up in two different charts on the screen. If you want to take a picture to remember for later, great. I don't have much time here. I want to spend most of our time on the fact that we are being transformed by God. And it's just going to lead us to a logical conclusion. But here's the thing. To follow requires you to serve and sacrifice. So um, what does it look like to serve? Well, we are told to imitate Christ, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 2. And tells us that we should do this. And we should consider John 12, 26, where Jesus says, anyone wanting to follow me must serve me. And you can add to that Mark 10, 45, where Jesus himself says, "Um, I'm the master and I've come to serve you. Therefore, guess what? If I'm your master, you're not greater than me. You should serve other people as well. And what does it look like to serve? Well, all of our lives are to be productive, which means bearing fruit. John 15, 8 tells us our lives should bear fruit. It should do things for the gospel. It should do things for the kingdom. It should accomplish things for God's plan. Another way this is put is that we are supposed to be light in a world that is dark, right? Matthew 5, uh, verse 16. And most importantly, that we walk in a manner that Christ walked, which is in love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. All right, so what about sacrifice? Uh, And this is just a few verses, guys. I, I don't have a whole lot of time here. There's so many more, right? But what about sacrifice? Under the category of sacrifice, we could uh, look at 1 Peter 2, 21, where we're told to follow the example of Jesus who suffered, for us, 
right? We can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, uh, or chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, where we're told to imitate Jesus, live like he did, and he was a sacrifice for us, so we should sacrifice for others. And we're told multiple times in multiple ways to abide in his word, as John 8, verses 31 through 32 tell us, uh, which will require us to learn to give up what my flesh wants, uh, what I would desire for what God would desire, what his word says. And this also means that we're, there will be times when we are hated even when we haven't done anything wrong. John 15, verse 18. And learning to be a sacrifice requires us to have the right relationship with the world where it prioritizes Jesus as first before everything else. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15. And here's the amazing thing, this, this last verse that you see up on the screen. Um, when this verse that from Luke I read about not lo- loving your mother or father as much as you love Jesus, right? When that is uh, presented, most often in that context, Jesus goes on to say is when you lose your life, you'll gain it. When you give up your life, you'll find it, which is so converse to the narcissistic world we live in, right? Everybody's always like, go find yourself. Do what's good for you. Live how you want to live. Be happy, and then everything will come together for you. You just completely disregard other people, disregard responsibility, so on and so forth. And Jesus says the exact opposite of the world. He says, give up yourself for everything, everyone, and you will find yourself in that. And we're told that when we yoke ourselves to Jesus, which is a farming term, right, of connecting two animals together, or we are connected to Jesus, it's then that we will be freed. It's then that we will be unburdened in the best way that we can be unburdened, and it's there that we find rest, Matthew chapter 11. 28 through 30, Jesus says, when you connect your life to mine, you will find the greatest sense of peace and rest that you can find, all right? This is what it looks like to follow, okay, to serve and to sacrifice. What does it look like to be transformed? Because when it comes to transformation, this is really an internal thing, more so than just simply an external thing. Will we see it in external ways? Yeah, you'll see it in how people serve. You'll see it in how people sacrifice. But it's because of what's going on in the inside. And sometimes this happens rapidly. Sometimes it happens slowly. Sometimes somebody extends really fast and plateaus, you know, and just kind of sit there until one day they have another to come to Jesus moment. Like, man, I can't stay here. Jesus didn't die on the cross for me to stay here. You know, like, I, I, as long as I have a pulse, I have a purpose, right? And just let me keep living for the, the plan that God has for me. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it, it's basically changing your nature. Justification is something that happens in an instant. I, I, so to speak, it happens in the mind of God. You, 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 you're justified because of the work Jesus did for you on the cross, and you have put your faith in Jesus. And as the scripture from Matthew 28 says, you've united your life with Christ in baptism, you're living faithful to lead to him, and so on and so forth, right? And this is just instantaneous. Now, sanctification seems to be something else. It's like putting something through an aging process so that over time it gets a little bit better every day, every hour, every minute that it ages a little bit more because it's put in the right environment, because it's subjected to the right elements. And so that's how this word is used. And so essentially to be transformed requires you to surrender and submit to the right elements, to the right environments. 
scripturally, there is a good mix of how this process is made possible because of God's love and because he's given us the presence of his spirit in our lives, but it requires us to submit to him, to surrender to the direction of the Spirit of God. And there's some great scriptures about this. Uh, Look at this, and, and before we look at this together, let me remind you, when a letter was written to the church, like the first Thessalonians letter, okay, there weren't chapters and verses. It was written in context. They would sit down and read the whole letter. And they may go back and look, well, look at what he said here and look at how it connects with what they said here and so on and so forth. Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this, it is God's will that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Now, now keep in mind that this one sin that seems to be mentioned here, it was typically used as the pinnacle to encapsulate all sinful activity. And so he's saying, listen, this is how you grow up in faith and grow to be exactly what God designed and desired and created you to be in this broken and sinful world where we struggle is that you submit yourself to God, that you're being sanctified by the Spirit, that you're learning to, right? Last time I checked, some of us learn at a at the speed of smell. I mean, you know what I mean? It just takes some time, and it takes some experiences that we should not have. I mean, I'm not going to ask or raise a hands. How many of you, especially because some of your kids are sitting next to you, but how many of you did something, your mom or your dad or your preacher or your student minister or your friend or your faithful elder in your church told you not to do? But you did it anyway. And then maybe you did it once, twice. Maybe you're still struggling with it because it's become a pattern in your life. Um, you know, look, we learn how to move out of those patterns into a more godly pattern as we trust the presence of the Spirit in our lives. But look at what it goes on to say. Now, this comes in chapter 5 of the same letter, so it's really all in context together. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, right, through and through. Uh, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it? Is it my effort? Is it God? Yeah, (laughs) that's the answer, right? It's It has to be that at some level, I'm learning to submit. I'm learning to surrender. I'm learning to better listen to the presence of God in my life and accept that what he says is better for me than what I want and learn how to control my life in such a way to yield it over to God and give it over to him in this moment and in that moment. Now, think of it this way, in this idea of, justification, sanctification. God is a judge. Basically, you stand before him and he declares whether you're righteous or not based on your faith in Jesus Christ, right? But he's not just simply this judge that's, you know, got the gavel and looks the part and all that, right? He's also this compassionate surgeon. And he will work on your heart in ways that you never imagined possible, fixing those things that the sin of this world tangles up. 
But last I checked, surgeons don't strap people to the table and take them without their will. That they submit to them, they surrender, they recognize this is the one who can fix the problem that I have. And they climb up on that table with great enthusiasm that something in my life is going to be greater than it was before. Because of the gift and the power that this individual ultimately has. So how do we climb up on that table? Real quickly, really simple. This is the environment that we put ourselves in. One of the best Old Testament verses that really speaks to this. I love this. It's prophetic. It's long-range view verse. It says, hey, look, this is what's coming many years from now. Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart. I'll put my spirit in you, a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is an internal transformation, an internal change where you're being transformed in nature, character, and actions as well. And so uh, another verse, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You know what the context of this verse is? Jesus is praying for you. You didn't know that, did you? You didn't know Jesus prayed for you. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. John chapter 14, 16, 15, 17, Jesus goes on from praying for his disciples that were immediately with him to praying for everybody that would believe in God based on what Jesus did. He prayed for you that you would be sanctified through and by the word of God. So environmentally, we need the spirit of God. We need God to put something in us that's just not there. We need his surgical hand, and we need the word of God. So what else? Well, 2 Thessalonians. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and belief in the truth. It's all there, but it adds the other important element, brothers and sisters. We are transformed when we consistently engage with the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God. We're transformed and we're made different. The community aspect of the church is radically lacking in our current culture. Um, I don't know why or what it is, and everybody's got their theory, but we lack this significant community aspect that we see in the Scriptures. For example, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those, community, who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Hebrews 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another on. How are you spurring another on in, in the flesh, in the Christ, on toward love and good deeds? Right? James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen, you go on and on and on and on. There is no you terminology in the New Testament Scripture in terms of the kingdom, in terms of the church, in terms of salvation. Salvation is made very individualistic in our culture, and church community is made very just divided within our culture versus what we see in Scripture. So let me just ask you a couple simple questions. How many of you, if tempted by this or by that, have somebody that you can go to and talk with about that? If you're a woman, another woman. If you're a man, another man. Now, I'm not going to ask a show of hands. How many of the men in this room have ever been tempted to think sexually about another woman other than their wife? 
how many of you have ever been tempted towards an affair? Because some other woman at work or social experience has shown you the kind of attention that you're not getting from your wife. And in that moment, you knew exactly who, and you went to that person, and you confessed, this is where my heart's trying to go. Help me out here. I would venture to guess to say that 90% of us don't have that type of mechanism within our culture and our community and our relationships with one another and with Christ. And yet we're told very clearly in the scriptures, confess our sins to one another that we may be healed and we may grow. In his book, Soul Strength, Alan asks a question, are you able to say this in your life? He asks a question, I have no secrets and it is well with my soul. You know, do you have a track to run on and a team to run with? Do you have a mechanism in your life to where the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God are right there constantly close to you? They may not hold you accountable, but they're holding you close. So that when the, the wrong time comes, you have just the right person uh, to be able to reveal the content of your heart to. Uh, listen, here's the reality. In our current culture of Christianity in America, I believe that a lot of people are probably somewhat good at theology, some even great at theology, and many of us have no passage, no path, no mechanism for applied theology. We know a lot of things. Do we practice them? Do we put them into place? Do we live as the scriptures call us to live? Um, listen, another thing that Alan says is great. We're gluttons when it comes to content, but we are starving for heartfelt truth and in-depth conversations. Who is it that you can go to and actually have an in-depth conversation? I'm not talking about the sky's blue and this person won the game. I'm talking about what's going on in your heart. I don't even want to see a show of hands on that one. I'll tell you this, though. 21 guys from this church, 21 guys have made the commitment to go all in in what I call a circle over the next year to actually be in that kind of an environment. Um, here's the question. Is that you? Are you just a lone ranger Christian? Because there is no such thing, by the way. Um, another illustration that's great in the book Soul Strength, um, Alan reminds us of what a draft horse can do. Draft horses are very powerful horses that pull heavy weights. And so sometimes they're used for competition, right? And so a good, great draft horse could pull 8,000 pounds. And so they decide that they're going to put two draft horses, each that can pull 8,000 pounds separately together, and, well, they could probably pull 16,000 pounds. Well, they couldn't. They pulled 24,000 pounds. They pulled three times the weight. This is what happens when we come into community. Infinitely greater things than we expect can take place in our own hearts and in the community around us. And the language of the community and of the church is always uh, plural, uh, Pluralistic, it, it, you know, it's never singular. We have made it that way in our own culture. And so when we come to that last one, to be on mission with Jesus, this is all I got time for. It's the result of the first two. If we are following Jesus, serving, sacrificing, if we're being transformed by Jesus, submitting, surrendering, what happens is every aspect, every place, every pocket of our life becomes a place in which we serve the mission of God. 
No matter where you're at in your world, your job, your family, no matter how old, no matter how young, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose, there's always something that Jesus is calling you to do. And he desires and he has the power to make you more like what he designed you for right now. Kingdom theology isn't just hang on in there and everything's going to get better at some point. He desires to make it better in our lives now. And so our all-in vision is really all about that. How do we increase our education so that people have a place where they can learn great things about the word, groups where they can relationally grow, circles where their heart can be really transformed and changed? You know, how do we have spaces in this building that can host things like that and deal with the fact that we got 200 kids showing up on a big Sunday over here in children's ministry? And how can we reach our entire community with a Latin expression as well? This is what For St. Cloud is all about. That's what drew some of you in. You saw big stickers on the door said, For St. Cloud, a church in the community for the community. You know, while the staff desires to do events and create events and, and, and inspire the congregation, hey, let's go out the generosity project and give out food. That's great. What our greatest desire is is that everyone every day going everywhere to everyone in every way sharing Christ with their world because they're a person who's following Jesus and being transformed by Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word this morning and be reminded of the core of who we are and our vision. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to continue to press into this, give us the various details that we need to do, help steer the ship, Lord, um, so that what we try to do educationally, what we try to do in any form or fashion relationally in the community, it's what you want. Help us to be Uh, slow and patient enough to let you steer the ship, but also be aggressive enough to keep it moving forward as you would desire. And Lord, as we do this, we pray that we continue to see hearts shaped and formed and lives changed, relationships saved, and so much more. And so, Father, we lift all these things up to you and ask that you help us become more every day. And the person who is sanctified in your presence, Uh, Help us to have the right mind to put ourselves in the right environment, to put right elements before us so that we can become exactly what you would desire for us and something that is hard for us to even imagine that is possible now. But we know that it's true. And so, Father, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.